right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Solly here. We recorded this episode last week uh, before we left for Korea. Myself, TC, Kyle Porter from CBS Sports, and Jamie Weir from Sky Sports. Two American fans, two European fans, having it out, talking about a year out from the Ryder Cup. A lot of people asking questions, why are you doing this now? We've always done a year out episode for the Ryder Cup. I think every year on this uh, podcast, when it's come time to do a uh, look ahead from one year, it's fun to look at the teams now. Talk about what may change, uh, you know, rehash the last year. This was a blast of an episode. We want to thank our friends at Roback for sponsoring this episode. You know Roback. These guys just understand quality. Their performance polos fit so much better than your typical boxy polos. Their four-way stretch is next level. Material is super soft while staying wrinkle-free. Second, their performance Q-zips are a game-changer. Nothing beats a round of fall golf in a Roback quarter zip. They're soft. They're stretchy. They're comfortable. I cannot take them off. They just sent us some new ones. Thank you for that. Lastly, the Roback performance hoodies, the stretchiest, softest hoodies in golf. Every time I think I've got too many of these, I see my guy cooking with Daryl on Instagram. He's got the new, freshest Roback. He got a new orange one on. I gotta get my hands on that one. I cannot get enough of the Roback hoodie. That's why you see me wearing one of those in pretty much most of our videos at this point. They're gaining traction big time, and you can use code NLU at Roback.com for a generous 20% off your first order through the end of this week. That's code NLU, 20% off R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com, Roback.com, 20% off polos, Q-zips, hoodies, and they just dropped some joggers as well. Code NLU, Roback.com. Thank you so much for their support, and let's get to the show. All right, we teased it uh, on last, uh, I guess now almost a week and a half ago, Sunday pod. I said, Porter, we got to do a Ryder Cup something, and uh, we're doing this. We're recording this uh, the week before it comes out here, but it's time to take a temperature check uh, one year out almost on the 2023 Ryder Cup, welcoming in uh, Kyle Porter from CBS. Hello, Mr. Porter. Hello, Mr. Solly. I'm, I'm, uh, you gave me a few days to see how many points I could get the U.S. team, and uh, I'm ready to, <laughs> ready to have some debate here. And just to make sure we don't get too far out over our skis, just to make sure we have a little temperature check here, we invited two of our European friends, uh, well, two European fans, I should say, one person <laughs> from Sky Sports, Jamie Weir, become a, a, a very good friend of the pod lately. Welcome back, Jamie. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. Hello from very cold Britain. It's winter here already, but uh, yeah, very excited. Still 12 months out. I'm still very excited about the Ryder Cup. And everyone's favorite fake European. Uh, he's long, long <laughs> been for this European fan. We have our very own Tron Carter. Hello, Mr. TC. Listen, I'm, I'm a European fan. I'm not a fake European, though. You're the fake European after your Amsterdam stint. I'm a fake that. European. You're the fan. That's, that's, that's very fair. That's very fair. I'll take that. Tron, is there a team that you would uh, not root for against the U.S.? Like, could, like, if Russia put a team together, would you be out on that? <laughs> I don't just root against the U.S. Like, I normally root for the U.S. The, the, the Ryder Cup is kind of the exception to that. So, oh, The President's Cup, too, though. Yeah, the President's Cup as well. I just, you know, but like <laughs> so, so every team of it. No, just, just you know, men's and and yeah, it, I would say and the Solheim Cup as well. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just don't like a lot of the guys on on 
on the U.S. team, although it's getting better. I was going to say, this started with like the, the Zach Johnson era. Like it started a long time ago with you know the, your kind of take on you know just not liking these players, and the whole team is almost turned over to this point. So I'm wondering if your stance on any of that has changed. Well, I mean, the captain is. Well, I know that's public re- enemy number one, right? <laughs> it is. It's. It's. Yeah. It's kind of tough. Who do you root for in like Walker Cups and Curtis Cups? Walker Cups, I I go case by case. Like I really, I'm a big Barclay Brown guy, so I was rooting for I was rooting for the Brits last time. <laughs> the bucket hat. It's a Curtis Cup could go, you know, total toss up depending upon who the players are. <laughs> this time I rooted for the U.S. because I, you know, I really like Rose and the gang. Uh, Solly, do you have anything to say as far as uh, the Presidents Cup? Are you gonna apologize for? The margin of victory or anything there, TC. Just because you were you were on different duties uh, during President's Cup week doesn't mean we didn't have about eight episodes that addressed pretty much literally all of my <laughs> thoughts on the President's Cup here. So, <laughs> as it relates to the Ryder Cup, I'm happy to have that conversation, and that I'm probably coming in with just a bit more, a little bit of cold water poured on. If it had been a you know a 22 to eight stomping, uh, I think it would have been really hard to to check myself in terms of the excitement for Rome. I at least got a little bit of that, that the, I call it the dread, that feeling of like hopelessness. It hit me for like a second at the president's cup, that feeling of like literally nothing's going right. How can this possibly be happening? The feeling I get every time the U S tees it up in Europe, it hits you like halfway through that second session or whatever that might be. I got like a snippet of that enough to be reminded of what can go wrong. Cause everything was teed up really, really, really well for the U S to smash them. And they were smashing them. My, the saving grace there, I think, is like they probably took their foot off the gas a little bit. Davis Love even admitted as much, I think, with some of the pairings he sent out in the afternoon four balls on Saturday. But it, it's not really an excuse for like not playing that great in singles and like a lot of those dudes not taking care of business in an event they should be up for a lot. So I am not as uh, I'm not coming in with any idea that the U.S. cannot lose this Ryder Cup. It is extremely, extremely possible. I'm going to put the onus. On the European side of this as well, a little bit though. I've never, ever, ever seen so much cockiness and confidence <laughs> from a team coming off a nineteen to nine loss. I, I, there, a lot of stuff has not been explained about what happened. Whoa, 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 whoa! You've got to back that up. What cockiness? What cockiness yeah, have you on. seen? Who's been cocky? You! I read your stuff all the time no, no, on Twitter. No, 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 no. Read your tweets. I, I did it to wind you up, and it works so well. <laughs> I, I think it's going to be really close. I think it's going to be the closest Ryder Cup since Medina. I think it could go either way. I think you've got an incredibly strong U.S. side, which perhaps more importantly has now sussed out the team spirit thing, which was missing for so long. And I think you've got a European side with a core of seven players who are all world-class, and then you're going to have... It's really exciting from a European point of view. You've got these this young blood coming into the team. It's the end of an era. That's been put to, to one side. It's a transitional period, but you've got young guys who are going to be so up for it. They're going to be pumping their chests. Um, I, I can't wait for it. But any time I say that Europe are going to win, it's just to primarily wind up you and Porter, and it works a treat. Because <laughs> I know exactly how to press all your buttons when it comes to the Ryder Cup. Well, it's so funny how, uh, I guess, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a hell of a sacrifice you're willing to make to make yourself uh, look that silly just to while, rile us up a little bit. I, think, I do appreciate that. But Very brave. Jamie, I, who are these six core members, real quick? Just seven. The, the, or seven. The seven, yeah. The, the, the seven core members are Rory, John Ram, Victor Hovland, Matt Fitzpatrick, Shane Laurie, Tyrrell Hatton, Tommy Fleetwood. Those seven, I think, are going to be on the team 
whatever happens, even if, well, one of them obviously isn't going to qualify at least automatically because Luke's got six picks next year. But I think whatever happens, all seven of those will be in the team. Then I think you've got sort of maybes. You can split into the young guys who are just emerging, um, like Rasmus Hoygaard, Bob McIntyre, Guido Miliozzi. Sepp Straka, um, and then guys who have experienced Ryder Cups before, like Thomas Peters, Justin Rose, Alex Noren, Francesco Molinari, if he has a little um, renaissance. Danny um, Willett. So Danny Willett, he's on, my, he's on my outsiders at the moment, but he's on that list. Yeah, there's, you know, there's lots to choose from. It's not going to be the walk in the park that Kyle Porter was predicting a couple of weeks well, ago. Yeah, I mean, maybe. We'll, we'll see. I, I think the... I guess my question is, what has change from whistling straights. Now, I know you can say the golf course, the the setting, the country, you know, all that stuff, but you know, fundamentally I don't know that the US team is going to be that different from the whistling straights team and I I mean, you know, Poulter and and uh Westwood, I think both won their singles matches on Sunday at, at whistling straights and they're they're the ones that are getting replaced right like those guys are are going to be out and i don't know that i don't know if what europe is bringing in is going to be ma- materially like ready to rock and roll at a rider cup now the proof that like the rebuttal to that is thomas peters at hazeltine right where he was just lights out for three straight days so could that happen yeah i i just think i just think europe falls off in a big way after that kind of six seven spot in a way that the u.s does not i think i can address this for you jamie if you want me to because i'm going to put a little cold water on porter just with this in general i thought whistling straights was a beautifully executed strategy from stricker and the u.s team they stretched that golf course out and they said we are going to make this a long iron contest and hey dog shit venue you got dog shit venue uh, <laughs> yeah the golf national is really the the primo of what we should be uh, playing professional golf at but tests every aspect of your game the golf national yeah. proper golf course it, it proper it's like course. basically two aspects of your game but anyways it, <laughs> what they said was all right let's beat pat like beat patrick Cantlay with four irons on the par three stretch the par threes out Beat him, beat Colin Morikawa in a long iron contest. Like, good luck with that. Like, you're just, they're going to wear you down with depth. And I think what Europe is going to do in Italy and what they did in France was make it a 120-yard to 160-yard test. It is, let's get the crowd riled up. We're going to be trying to, like, basically, you can close the talent gap by having those shots being the key shots on the course much more than you can shots from further away. And I think it minimizing the driving ability of the Americans and making that test be about uh, that aspect of it shrinks the gap automatically from the start. So that's where it's like, that takes route off the table, I think, for the most part, because it's just not, they're not going to give the Americans the chance to stretch out like they like the bigger golf courses allow. That's what I think. That's That's like a reason to be apprehensive. Jamie? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to come back to sort of course setup in a bit because I think it's obviously a pretty important uh, part of Ryder Cups these days. But just first of all, to address um, Porter's comment about Poulter and Westwood, yes, they both won their singles matches matches at Whistling Straits. It was kind of after the cup was done. It was after the Lord Mayor show, so I wouldn't read too much into that. The first two days when it was foursomes and four balls, those two guys were real anchors for the rest of the team. And I think what's changed since Whistling Straits was Whistling Straits was just the perfect storm. It was a European side that arrived there with so many players out of form. It was a US side which arrived there with so many players just hitting top, top form. It was, you know, post-COVID, there was like 
one percent of the fans there were European fans. It was a course that set that suited the US. I think Podrick Harrington rushed a few pairings and got a few things wrong in that regard. And I think just everything that could have gone right at Whistling Straits went right for Stricker, and everything that could have gone wrong went wrong for Podrick. So what's happened since then is I think you know you look at some of those players in that team. Shane Lowry is a better golfer than he was then. Matt Fitzpatrick is a far better golfer than he was then. Victor Hovland has improved as a golfer. I think there's still obviously aspects of his game that are concerning. Rory's playing better than he was then. Then you just and then you talk about these young guys, the guys that are then going to replace that old guard. I mean, Bob McIntyre, Guido Migliozzi, they've just come off wins like recently in the last month. Bob McIntyre around Marco Simone. So the guys that are replacing the old boys are going to be so up for it. And they've also got the bit between their teeth because they have been written off by so many people, just as was the case after the absolute shellacking that the US gave the internationals at the 2017 President's Cup when everyone was saying, oh, well, the 2018 Ryder Cup is just going to be such a blowout for the US. And that really pissed off Thomas Bjorn and a lot of the European players. And we're seeing history repeat itself again. Everyone is already saying, ah, oh, it's going to be a complete right for the US. It's going to be the strongest Europe- US team ever and the Europeans don't have a chance. And that gets under players' skins. Um, so I think there's a lot of ter- determination from the European boys I speak to to actually shove it back down some people's throats. I'll, I'll just to add on to that, like also the 2021 COVID situation for the European players, like the year they had between yeah. traveling and what the, what they had to put up with was very different than what the Americans had to put up with. So I'm in, in agreement with you as well that it was a perfect storm for, for 2021. TC, any anything to add on or build on to that? No, I mean, plenty to talk about when we get down to kind of who the, the other candidates are. I think next place I would want to go is just talking about the course before to, to kind of set the stage with the venue. And then we can talk about all the all the different iterations the teams could look like. And, and I think that kind of informs what makes sense, right? Sully was talking about putting the par threes and setting up, you know, shots from like 120 to 160. And I mean, that's the distance I think of when I think about where Rory really just thrives <laughs> is like the 120 yard <laughs> shot. So I, I hope they do do that. I, maybe he's we'll get the you know, too. He did, he's he's the best in the world at it at the moment. I know he's been better recently. I had to get that in there though. God, a dig, a, a Rory dig from Porter, <laughs> unbelievable! It's the Ryder Cup. It's, you know the gloves are off, Tron. Tell us about the golf course that Jamie. I know we've we've watched some Italian opens there, but it's it's kind of hard to pick up what the. Well, it's hard to identify you know, what they're going to actually do with it because from what I've seen on TV, I don't think it's going to look like it has for the Italian Open because it looks wide, it looks hilly, it looks funky. You can't do anything about hilly, but uh, I don't imagine that it's going to be as driver friendly as it's played for the Italian Open. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Um, It's extremely undulating. I think it's going to be very difficult for any players to play all five sessions just because of how hilly it is and how demanding physically the course is. It's similar to Le Golf Nacional in certain respects in that certainly from a spectator standpoint where these sort of big hills and these natural amphitheatres, so it's going to be an incredible venue from that point of view. I think the vice captains and Luke Donald still have a lot of work to do in terms of uh, the setting up of the course, it, it it will not be as penal as Paris. It just can't be. It's not that nature, of course. But I think they will narrow the fairways a bit. But but I think it's you know look, there are many better courses than Marco Simone. However, you know 
Major championships are, are the reason for great courses is that's where you take major championships. For Ryder Cups, it's courses that are great match play courses and it will be a great match play course. The back nine in particular, you've got drivable par fours, you've got water everywhere. 16, 17, 18 is a great finish. 16, a drivable par four, but it's got water on it as well. 17, a long, challenging par three. And then 18, a par five again with water to the left side of the green. So if matches get that far, 16, 17 and 18 is going to provide a great climax. But I think um, there are aspects that are similar to Paris, but it's not going to be nearly as penal as Le Golf National was. Yeah, it just doesn't look like they have the opportunity or the, uh, you know, it, it, it's good. Like you said, it's going to be very different and it's not like they can trick it up from a, a width standpoint. I say that, I mean, I'm sure they want to probably bring the fairways in some and grow the rough up, but. The rough was pretty up for the Italian Open a few weeks ago. It was proper thick rough if you were offline at all. But I mean, you say trick up. The Golf National wasn't really tricked up that much by Thomas Bjorn. I mean, that is just the nature of the course. Yes, he narrowed the fairways a bit, and he's you know the grass was mowed back in, on the rough towards the tee box, so you're always playing against the against the grass. That's tricked up. Um, yeah, that's well, not okay. tricked up. Um, that's just that's just called uh, Augusta. Grass, Augusta it? mows the grass yeah. a certain way. <laughs> the rough was like shin deep. It was not like that for the French Open. It was a huge, huge, huge inhibitor. It was smart. But like, don't say it wasn't tricked up. I mean, come on. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Do you, do you know what I find interesting is, you know, people talk about the fact that, oh, are we getting to the stage of the Ryder Cup where we need like an independent body to set up these courses because home advantage is becoming so important? And I kind of think, are there two fundamentally different ways of playing golf? Do Europeans and Americans play two completely different styles of the game? I don't think they do. I think maybe 20 or 30 years ago that was the case when perhaps as a general rule, European golfers had lower ball flights. They didn't hit the ball as far. Whereas nowadays, I mean, the, the the backbone of the European team all play week in, week out in the US. They are PGA Tour players. So I think the margins are so narrow these days that, and I, you know, the, the, the converse to that is the last four home Ryder Cups have all been complete blowouts for, for the home team. But I don't think there is inherently a European style of playing and an American style of playing. Um, Jamie, that's what I was going to so, say. I think there's definitely like, you know, with, you know, especially as we get into some of the captain's picks as well, like the Hoygaard twins are vintage definition of bomb and gouge, right? The, uh, you know, I don't I mean, want to he, put the blame. Like the American players and and captains own a, have to own not being ready to play that golf course, right? I, I, that's I don't want to. I'm not saying that it flipped everything. That that team was clearly not ready to play that golf course, and you have to be ready for that. Like that's part of the deal here is that you are going into an opposing setup. That's not me me bitching about that golf course. I just didn't like it and didn't think it was very fun and entertaining. But uh, they U.S. still needs to be prepared to play exactly that. You need to be ready for what's in front of you. I think Paris was a bit of an anomaly in the sense that, A, you're right, I think there was a certain degree of arrogance in the American team that we can just go and um, overpower this um, golf course and bludgeon driver off every tee and we'll be fine. Um, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that the only member of the US team who'd made an effort to come over and experience that course in tournament golf earlier in the year, Justin Thomas, was the best player statistically in the US team in 2018. And I think it was just it just also happened to be a European team that was packed with supreme ball strikers where, you know, it put an emphasis on accuracy, it put an emphasis on ball striking. You had a European team of Francesco Molinari, Tommy Fleetwood, Henrik Stenson, Justin Rose, Alex Noren, Sergio Garcia. I haven't even mentioned Rory McIlroy and John Ram yet. Just all extreme iron players, and that's what that course tested. So I just think Thomas Bjorn had the perfect team to execute execute his game plan on that course. And Jim Furyk made a couple of dodgy decisions with his picks, 
came in underprepared. There was a certain degree of arrogance where we can just smash this ball everywhere and we'll be fine because that's what we do week in, week out in the PGA Tour. And they came unstuck. I think running Phil and Bryson out as a pair is the height of arrogance. <laughs> <It's awesome>. <laughs> that, <laughs> I don't know how you can get more arrogant than that. Phil's right <laughs> career literally ended on a tee box. He just he hit a ball in the water on I think it was sixteen and he shook hands there. Yeah. That was the end of his Ryder Cup career. That was that was, that was sick. He, that was he turned around and he turned around and shook hands with Francesco Molinari whilst his ball was still in the air. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was sick. I, you know, I think what's kind of hard to explain then if, if you guys, and I, and I think I'm in agreement about how the setup it, it, because everybody's sort of like playing the PGA tour now, it doesn't maybe matter as much, or it doesn't favor one team as much, but almost the home team has won what every Ryder cup since 2004, except for Medina. Yeah, the Europeans won in 04, but correct. Since two or since, yeah, 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 yeah. All the ones after that. Correct. And I don't really know. I mean, I, obviously being at home is a big emotional advantage, but it just seems like one of those, and maybe Medina is just like the the one in there that, that was going to go differently. It, it I don't want it to, I guess what I'm saying is I don't want it to turn into this just, we know the home team's going to win. We know the home team's going to win. We know the home team's going to win. And I, I don't know if having a third party set up the course changes that necessarily. I, I would be interested to see if it, if it affected it at all. I think it's like, it's kind of a misnomer though. When I think at least when they have the, ter- the, the event on like mainland or like your continental European soil versus when it's, say in the British Isles, you know, or the UK, like it's, it's Guido Migliazzi is going to be at home. But other than that, like how much time does John Rahm spend in Italy or Rory spend in Italy? You know, it's, I have it's people kind cheer of a, for you though, is that I think what is, uh, you know, you're, you're coming into a, I think it's the fans yeah. that make the biggest difference. And, you know, we, you know, we saw at Hazeltine, the effect that had on a lot of the European team, Danny Willett in particular, um, you know that you know when you've got the crowd suddenly turn and you you can just some players it brings out the best of them and some players just disappear into their shell and I think that's what happened to a lot of that team at Hazeltine. I, I will say too, uh, Glenn Eagles was not a ridiculous setup by any means. Like if anything, that should have been a helpful setup for the Americans, if I remember right. I mean, it was not thick rough. It wasn't, uh, you know. It, <laughs> I mean, do I not remember that right? It didn't feel like the, the, it was they, pretty. The rough was pretty thick, but, but they didn't feel um, neutered. Like it didn't feel like uh, I, I, yeah. I, I'm watching Rory hit irons off par fives last year. Like not like links golf. Like I'm worried about this running into a bunker. Like I this fairway is so narrow. I have to hit iron, the greatest driver in the world. That was where it was kind of like ah, this is this is a little different here than like just hey, let's tee it up and let it fly. So I'm saying I think Hazeltine was a bit on the extreme side, no rough middle of the you know, set up like a pro am, I believe was Justin Rose's quote. I think that Correct. like exactly that, that was like what kicked this off to say like all right, 2018 was like all right, well, here here's what we're gonna do, and I think. Also, a, a flaw in the U.S. in 2018 was they didn't make a a team for that golf course, right? And I still go back yes. to they were kind of screwed by their own success leading up into it. Like their captain's picks were Bryson, Finau, Tiger, and Phil. And, and, Phil. and Phil was a and different- they were kind of 
Furyk kind of had no choice but to pick those four guys, so Phil, I kind of felt yeah. for him in that regard. Phil bullied his way onto the team, and like at that time, that was decently reasonable. He was coming off a good Hazeltine run. Bryson won two playoff events uh, that year. The Cat had just won the at the Tour Championship the week before, and Finau had at least one runner-up, insert comment there, uh, in the playoffs as well. He was coming and playing <laughs> great, and he actually played really well. And those guys destroyed them. They played so bad, except for Finau. The other guys were absolutely horrible. And I just, yeah. I want to note the guys that the u.s has lost to live from 2018 were 4 15 and 1 in 2018 that this is not your grandfather's Ryder cup team and tiger was 0 4 and i have a feeling he's not going to be on the team next year so all that to say it's going to be a very 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 different team coming across this time now look i, I think you go back 27 years or whatever it is to 1993. I can't even do the math on that. 29 years it will be. It'll be 30 next 30 year. years next year. That, that That's actually very easy math. Uh, yeah. Like there's, there's, <laughs> there's a lot to say about that. Like there's something to that. that that's the really, really, really long trend that, um, you know, is it's very much a prove it to me situation in the U.S. I don't think, I really don't think there's going to be that many fans, uh, American fans that are walking in like overly confident in this one. I think the thing that's changed, and I touched upon it earlier on, the thing that's changed in that time is that, and this is worrying from a European point of view, that the US have finally figured out now the team spirit. And it's not a team of 12 individuals anymore where they're pulling in 12 separate directions. But these are guys who have all grown up together. They have these natural friendships. You've got these pairings like Chauflet and Cantley or Spieth and Thomas or Burns and Scheffler, who just, they just fit each other like a glove. And they all enjoy each other's company. That's such a, a united team. There's this real bond between all the players. And that worries me from a European point of view, because that was always our strength over the US. On paper, they were always the strongest side, but we had that sort of spirit that they didn't seem to have. Yeah, I think the two other things as it relates to that is they've... I don't know if this is a task force thing or what, but they finally brought in statistical help. And, you know, for years they thought, oh, we'll just roll out Tiger and Phil and see what happens. And it it was not, it was just like not smart. Like they, it's a little bit of the thing where, you know, everybody says, oh, it's so easy to coach the Lakers with Shaq and Kobe or the Bulls with Scotty and Michael. You still have to actually like put stuff together, right? Like you can't just roll people out there and like hope that they win. And then the other thing I've been big on this theory and it might be one of one of my dumber theories or one of my better theories, but I think Tiger and Phil were just black holes on the, as, as teammates, as team members, they sucked up all the attention and energy. And you guys know part of the Ryder cup is, is like this idea of kind of like peacocking and preening. Like you're like, I'm the man, you know? And and like nobody ever had the opportunity to do that because Tiger and Phil were just, and not even, I don't even think it was their own fault. They were just sucking everything out of the room. And with them gone, with Tiger sort of like doing his, you know, call of duty thing with the earpiece and, and all that stuff, like there's just an opportunity to fill that void with guys that are more on the same plane, like on the same, uh, all on the same level. And I, I think maybe that's not meaningful at all, but to me, just even watching whistling straights last year, that, that to me meant something. And you can see JT and Spieth kind of leading that, but their stars are not so big that they kind of overshadow everybody else. Yeah. I, I think you're absolutely spot on. You've hit the nail on the head. I think for, you know, the last 30 years, as long as I can remember with the European team, it's always been leave your egos at the door. Even if you are a superstar, like, you know, Faldo 30 years ago, Seve, 
Rory now, they were never the centre of attention in the same way that Tiger and Phil would have been for all those unsuccessful US teams. And I think whilst JT probably is the closest thing to an alpha on that team and the, the sort of almost self-appointed leader of the team, there still seems to be this put your egos at the door, leave your world rankings and your status and your majors at the door. We are 12 players. We're all in this together. We're a united team playing for one flag, playing for your country, playing for your teammates. And they've really cracked that. And I think, you know, a lot of that has, to, you know, the likes of Steve Stricker have to take a lot of credit for that. This episode of the No Lang Up podcast is brought to you by our friends at Precision Pro Golf, a proud partner of No Lang Up. We've all stood over the ball and hit the exact shot we wanted, but instead of finding the green, the ball falls Five yards short, it goes 10 yards long. Guessing your yardage isn't necessary anymore and breaking the bank isn't either. At precisionprogolf.com, you can get reliable range finders or GPS speakers at very affordable prices. I gotta tell you, this is one of the main reasons we partner with these guys. I always thought range finders were too expensive until I discovered Precision Pro. The award-winning NX10 slope range finder offers golfers everything they will need in a range finder. We've all got the NX10 on our bags. It's been a game changer. It locks onto the target quickly. Gets a slope-adjusted distance lightning quick. The magnetic cart mount and slope switch make using the NX10 as easy as possible. And what stands out is the customization. At PrecisionProGolf.com, you can select from an ever-growing selection of interchangeable designs to attach to your rangefinder. They got a city and state series, or they got you can uh, support our show as well uh, with the no laying up skins. And they're proud to offer a youth on course design as well. Youth on course breaks down barriers for kids by providing rounds of golf for as little as $5. So you can support this awesome mission by adding the youth on course skin to your cart when purchasing a Precision Pro NX10 rangefinder. They donate $10 to provide kids an opportunity to learn lessons that can only be taught on a golf course. So head to precisionprogolf.com to find the right product for you or find out more on how they are working with youth on course to help give kids a chance to get on the golf course and learn the game. Swing with confidence, hit more greens with Precision Pro Golf. Let's get back to the pod. Tron, what are you going to do if, if uh, JT gets to the first tee in Rome and just starts slapping the tee box like like uh, like Wojciechowski used to do in Cameron, say, Cameron Indoor? It's tough. Uh, <laughs> it's tough to call JT the leader of the team when he's got these pre-scripted, like, awful, awful <laughs> celebrations and, and, and stuff. Uh, that's just like I love I love JT in non Ryder Cup settings, but I'm like I'm very much good on JT on Zach Johnson on you know like quite like quite literally like the the U.S. team is corny as fuck, especially <laughs> especially going into Italy. I mean it's it's concerning. Who are the assistant captains? Finau's Finau's swaggy as hell. You can't deny. Like, yeah. uh, all right, all right. Who are the ass captains though? I don't know if we do we know one. that yet. <laughs> the ass captains. I don't. It's. I mean, they, they it'll only. Be, pick, it'll be like Kucher they will from be from like seven team. guys. There's only seven guys that it could be. I'm it's guessing be like Stricker, Michael Jordan, Stricker, Stricker yeah. <laughs> Davis Love, Drew Love. <laughs> I, I don't know what to think of ZJ yet, and I say that, and I'm hesitant to even weigh in because I was wrong, hand up on Stricker. Like I think we. We saw the first press conference or first media appearance that Padraig and Stricker did, and it was kind of like the, the consensus, at least among the media, which was we all kind of got fooled at least a little bit in terms of being really good with media doesn't necessarily mean you're a really good captain and uh, or or vice versa, right? I mean, Padraig could just talk in circles around Stricker, and Stricker just played everything really close to the chest, and it didn't make for the most interesting content. Yet when it came, became game time, like I, I, if you go rewinding a year, if you would have told me they would have taken the exact six players that I, the, the data nerd, wanted them to take, I would have been shocked. I would have been totally shocked. Scotty Scheffler looks very obvious as of now, uh, but it 
it was an era, a long era of U.S. Ryder Cups where they wouldn't take a guy, a rookie that hadn't won on the PGA Tour. Like some of that stuff used to matter a lot more than just like, hey, this dude just whooped a bunch of people's ass over the course of an entire year. I don't care that he hasn't you know, played in one of these yet. He's the 12th guy on the team. Let's pick him for these exact sessions right here, and let's go with that. For the first time, it was like, holy shit, the U.S. like might have licked it. Instead of going with the, the safe veteran Brant Snedeker, Matt Kuchar pick, they went in an opposite direction. And that, was, I, that felt like a turning point for me, at least in terms of how the U.S. views this era and who's going to play on these teams. And like, I, I think US, the U.S. has a depth advantage as we stand here over Europe, but I am a teeny tiny bit worried about the U.S. depth. And I think we saw that with Zalatoris going down to injury uh, and then kind of exposing, basically, they got... 11 really good guys which i know is that's a that's a luxury that's a lot of good guys but uh when they went down it was like horschel and kisner be adding them as 11 and 12 onto the president's cup team was not great and i do like i sitting here today i cannot even venture a guess who the 12th guy is going to be on the team next year isn't billy horschel like world number 16 or something at the moment it seems a bit sort of you want to do we can like, talk about the not, official world golf rankings well the world rankings are not yeah, i was gonna say like, <laughs> guys honestly can we just can can Horschel play for the Europeans at this point? I mean, he's he's a massive, massive ambassador for the DP World Tour. He's an Anglophile. He's an adopted yeah. Brit these days. I, I think I, I was like okay with and looking maybe on a, a less length emphasized golf course, Horschel might fit in right. But part of what I thought Horschel was going to bring to the table was energy, rambunctiousness, and this whole demeanor. And he admitted he was the most nervous he'd ever been. Like, he was so nervous he couldn't even spit out there, TC. You couldn't even believe it. And Yeah, that was a weird fish out of water kind of thing. If the President's Cup is going to have that much effect on you on a home one, I'm not like – I'm not like rushing you onto a, a road Ryder Cup team. I, I, I just, yeah. Unless he has a complete attitude change towards it, in terms of, I mean, I, I don't want to say attitude change. You're not in control of what your emotions kind of force on you the, the minute before it. I respect how much he cared about the President's Cup to get that nervous about it, but that that was that was alarm bells. You you rarely see somebody get that rattled by an atmosphere and admit it, basically. Sally, who among the eleven that you've mentioned, like who among those guys concerns you? The most too, like Cam Young after the after the Presidents Cup. Well, show I don't think he concerns me. I think we're gonna see some evolution with him with the putter over the next year. I mean, as somebody who bet a lot on him this, over this past year, watching him try to make putts down the stretch was really, really, really frustrating. And in the Presidents Cup, that was really frustrating. But I, 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 I have nothing to base it on. But I feel like he's going to improve that part of his game. I, he's been so freaking good, tee to green. And uh, he wasn't a disaster at the President's Cup. He just was like not quite breakout material. So who am I most worried about? I I don't know. Uh, you got one, Jamie? Yeah, my, my bold prediction for the member of that President's Cup team that it would be inconceivable to think wouldn't be part of the next Ryder Cup team. But for some reason, I just have a hunch is Colin Morikawa. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, I don't know why. Look, he hasn't had the greatest of 2022s. Let's see if he bounces back next year. But I could just very easily see, you know, you look at that President's Cup team and it's so easy to say, take Horschel and Kisner to one side. Those 10 will definitely be in the Ryder Cup team next year. You can make a case for them all being there. I think there'll be one surprise player who just slightly falls off and it could be Morikawa. And, you know, then you'll see maybe a Davis Riley or a Sahith Thigala, somebody like that, have a, have a stellar. They've already had pretty good 2022s, but have another great year next year. And they might step up into his shoes. I, I wouldn't be too worried about a strength and depth thing from a US point of view because this the next cab off the rank is another absolute baller. 
And then are you are you slotting Zalatoris yeah, right back I, in? I'm putting Zalatoris yeah. right back in. I, I will say to Morikawa, though, like his four seasons, his really his three PGA Tour seasons, if you look at this, the strokes gain, plus 1.57, 1.41, 1.42. Almost the same exact player in 22 as he was in 21. He just didn't – like the. that's where you – not you. We all tend to overrate majors, and I don't. I just mean that in terms of like how a player is playing golf. I, I don't think we overrate majors in terms of what they actually mean to the game of golf, and that's when you want to play your best golf, yeah, and that right. does matter. But if you're looking at his, uh, you know, he has not been the best PGA Tour performer. He really has not. I think the harder it gets, the better he has performed. He has good major finishes outside of his wins in majors. Uh, I think that does mean something, but, you know, he just didn't have the big major championship runs this past year, and I think that has kind of caused us to view his 2022 season maybe it, as as it, as it being worse than it actually was. But he, he went through things, some swing things this year, though, as well. He also remember that, uh, you know, Berger and, and Harris English, who were on that, the 20-whatever year that was, 2021 team, were hurt for the President's Cup last year, so you can throw them back into the mix as well with a group of of young. I I do I, I said this on the on the I don't know week and a half ago on the on the podcast with Solly, but I get a little concerned when, and again maybe this is just comparing to previous American teams because I don't know if it's a problem if you compare it to the European side, which we'll get to, but you look at 13 through 20 or 14 through 20 on the U S side. And it's full of like Tom Hoagie and Brian Harmon and just a bunch of guys that, that you're like, is that who I want? You know, playing foursomes in Rome, not, not really, you know? And, and so I, one through 10, one through 11, one through 12, do I have a lot of concern? No. But what if some of those guys get hurt? What if some of them leave for live? What if, you know, or uh, what if somebody makes a, a team that's not yes. expected to make the team? Right? Yeah. Like, exactly. like, it's like Aaron Wise is a guy that I could see going, going fucking nuts. Yeah. And just, he's, you know, he should be on the radar for the 12th spot. And in hindsight, I think he should have been on the President's Cup team. He's actually quietly really had a really good run and fit the profile Quail Hollow a lot. But I, he, he is. And he could have that Harris English type 2021 year where he wins twice and, you know, doesn't do it. I mean, Harris English didn't do a ton else, right? During, during that 2021 season. But he wins Travelers. He won. I think tournament of champions or something like that early in the year and gets on the team. So that, that is somebody that, that you could throw in at the end. DB could start vibing again too. Correct. I think they're safe with the six automatic qualifiers, six captains picks. Like I just don't, I, I think I could see with, if you had eight or nine auto qualifiers, somebody getting off hot and falling and falling into the eighth or ninth slot and you have to take them. I think they're protected pretty well. And same with your, your has EJ, yeah. has EJ already confirmed that it's going to be six and six for the U S again. I pulled up the ridercup.com slash ranking site. And that's exactly what it says. It says okay. six. I wasn't I aware was, whether he announced it yet. I was assuming that has, that would, uh, once qualifications started, I would imagine they would be, uh, not want to be shifting stuff around like that, but uh, they did do that to add players for COVID. I don't know if that, I mean, that was a special circumstance though. I hope they keep that. Can we go back to ZJ for a minute? For sure. Please. We were all there last year. We watch him on the first tee with his antics and his like just <laughs> histrionics and theatrics. And it looks like I told Porat this once. It, it looks like somebody who both like somehow simultaneously loves having the camera on him and it's the first time he's ever been on camera before. <laughs> like he doesn't, he doesn't know how, how to act. And, and I, I, I don't, I, I just watch him and I, I'm like, I don't know if I can trust this guy. Now, who cares if I can trust him, right? Like it, it's about whether the guys in the team room can trust him. But 
there's just a lot going on there that I feel like Stricker and Davis Love have this this sort of. I, th- I think if you don't believe in them, it's because they're too quiet or they're too reserved or whatever. But man, those like those dudes trust them a ton. Like they go to them, they talk to them, they bring things to them. I don't know if that's ZJ. I don't know if ZJ is like that. And I'm curious to see how that goes for him with a lot of, you know, big personalities and big egos in the room. I, uh, you know what? I I will stick up for ZJ here. I think, uh, you know, as much as I hate all of his antics and I think he's just the corniest, cheesiest, (laughs) you know, just, just like, I think he's a loser. (laughs) I think I think that I, I will stick up for G, ZJ. I think he's a loser. However, 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 uh, I will say like you look at a guy that that squeezed the absolute most out of his talent and yeah. the arc of his career and through through you know being analytical and being disciplined and being you know focused on the right stuff. I mean, shit, he you know won the Masters without hitting you know, or without going for a single par five and two. Right. Like it's like that takes some some fortitude. Uh, and I think that he's he's demonstrated that. And I think he's a pretty, pretty cerebral guy underneath the surface of all that extraneous bullshit. I, I do think I trust the system, Kyle. I, I think that whatever they've got going seems to kind of divest. That's probably not the right word. Kind of spread out the power amongst the other captains. And it's kind of like a dude, like run the stricker playbook. Like you don't need to reinvent anything that we that from the last Ryder Cup. You don't need to change anything. Like, same stats, guys. They're probably going to come in and say, here's who's playing the best. Here's what's worked for us. Here's overlaying their spray charts over these fairways and this golf course. And if we pair these two guys together, like, I don't think he's going to have to, you know, he's going to make, you know, be deciding between a couple hot hands here and there. But for the most part, I think a lot of the decision-making is kind of probably reduced on the captains these days. And I don't think, he doesn't strike me as the kind of person who would, reinvent the wheel either right. he was there in 2018 when he saw the mistakes that Furick made he was there this time last year when he saw all the right decisions that Stricker got he was an assistant captain on both occasions so he has that experience he's cut his teeth as an assistant captain twice and he just doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that would let ego get in the way and just think well I'm going to do something completely outlandish here like Hal Sutton did in 2004 and stick Tiger and Phil together he's not going to do something he's not going to think out of the box like that he's going to do something that's tried and tested because he's seen it already. Not just last year at the Ryder Cup in Whistling Straits, but literally two weeks ago at the President's Cup at Quail Hollow as well. Plus, I think going back to the, like Kyle, your point about the, you know, addition by subtraction, like some of the guys that have that have come off the team since then, tell you were talking about it earlier, but like not only that, it's like the guys that you've lost, setting aside the golf skills, there's no shitheads in the locker room anymore. Yeah. Like you yeah. don't have Bryson. You don't have Patrick Reed. You don't have Brooks. Uh, Brooks you don't have Mickelson. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's very much like, Hey man, like everybody's here for the, for the same reasons. Yeah. I know you guys aren't, um, I know you guys aren't really familiar with rugby, but the all blacks, the New Zealand team have got a sort of ethos that it, with, the, with with their team, which is basically no dickheads, no dickheads in the team. Even if you're an unbelievable player, you don't get into the team if you're a dickhead because the team as a whole is is the most important thing. And I think the US are now at that point where there's no dickheads in the team room anymore. Tron might disagree. <laughs> well, that, yeah, last year they were, they were like the Patriots. They could absorb the Antonio Brown. They could absorb the, the Kepka because they had so many like not dickheads that they could, they could bring him in. But... Yeah, you're right. Like they don't necessarily have to be
be as concerned about that anymore because those guys aren't going to be there. Now, am I concerned? Like, is Xander turning into too much of a hardo? Possibly, like after <laughs> all of this, like you know, maybe is Cantlay. Like, lay off the Cantlay, cigars. Cantlay is not my cup of tea. I think he's kind of a low key dickhead in some cases, but you know, but but it seems like he's thoughtful and cognizant and and socially aware, or you know, self aware. The, think, the thinking man's dickhead. Exactly. <laughs> he's he has been a role player in these like there's not been a peep from him of any dissent of anything, which is amazing considering how much dissent he seems to have amongst players in meetings and things like that on the actual inner workings of the PGA tour. He goes and plays with Xander and the no, no like they almost forget they oh you almost kind of forget about Xander and Cantley on these teams because of how quietly they go about their business. And they got off to a decent start in Royal Melbourne, but since then, man, they've been a really, really, really good team. And uh it's just yeah, you set the clock to it and, and put run those guys out there. That's what you were saying in the beginning, Jamie. It's like Dude, you talk about that first session. Like we have, if we go Spieth, JT, Xander, Cantlay, like to me that reads back a lot. Like if I go back to 2018 and I look at like Rose Stenson and I see, or, you know, maybe I'm thinking about even 2014, but I remember just like the the Rory, Poulter, and the Rose Stenson. And I was just like, how the hell are we? That's two points right there. Like now, what, now what do you do? Glen Eagles, 2014, that was the first time Rose, Rose and Stenson had played together. And actually, a lot of people sort of questioned McGinley. They were like, really, Rose and Stenson together? And they just, you know, they were they were a, a perfect match for each other. But then, yeah, you're right. Fast forward four years to Paris and, you know, it's hard to take those two down. You know, that opening session in Paris as well, the US 1-3-1, you got to remember that. Um, so, you know, the opening session is important, but it's not the be-all and end-all. They got to figure out foursomes. They got to figure. The U.S. has got to figure out foursomes. They've gotten absolutely spanked well, they, there the last two times, two go rounds. They they figured it out in the Presidents Cup. In the Presidents Cup, it seems to be their area of strength. If you look at and at home in the, the last, at home in the Ryder Cup, yeah. they've been really good at foursomes. It's literally on the road in foursomes. They have sucked. But it also like looking back at it, it was DJ and Ricky Fowler. Uh, I have a feeling that they will not pair up in, next time around. Bubba and Webb were a partnership at foursomes at, at La Golf National. Probably won't see that. Uh, Mickelson and Bryson uh, in the first one. Doubt we see that one. Uh, and then Yeah, Spieth, this is where the chemistry yeah. comes into play. Spieth and James. I didn't, uh, also things like like they didn't even, were in the stories with it from that team that they didn't even practice with each other's balls on any of the <laughs> practice days either. I mean, not just smacks of arrogance and complacency. Shockingly, Bubba and and Webb won their second foursomes match, and they split the second foursomes session. But uh, still, yeah, it was ugly. It was over by then. Real quick, so Homa's back on the team. Absolutely, I mean, I I would love for him to be back on the team, but I'm saying I'm I'm posing the question to you: Is Max back on a hundred percent? Regardless of what happens in the next six months, I would I would not say regardless of what happens in the next six months. Uh, honestly, I would say that with pretty much anyone. I mean, uh, maybe aside from Speed, JT, Xander, and Cantlay, like, and and probably Scheffler as well. Like, if he if his game tanks, like that, that's a, there's a conversation to be had there, right? And um, uh, yeah, I, the same goes for like, you know, five to six guys on the team as well. Now, Max has yeah. played incredible golf and seems to be still improving. So as we're standing right now, he's in very dark pencil on my team. He's about to get a big dose of perspective. That's very true. That's all, that's that can change a lot of people's lives, too. You never know. You never know. Well, you named like half the team. That's a lock. I, well, I, once I got going, <laughs> yeah. Burns, Burns is, again, like, we even, I don't even, we barely said the name Sam Burns, and he was the best U.S. player 
on the U.S. Presidents Cup team this this past go around. The record does not reflect. Didn't he only get didn't he only get two half points? Sully. It was robbery. It was total robbery. But it <laughs> just wanted to. I just wanted to. Start which is also <laughs> it's also funny because that's like you look at his his stuff like the last you know four or five months of the season. Ever since he won Colonial, he didn't do really shit after that. But yet he was yeah. he was in great form come Quail Hollow, and it's like this shit is so tough to predict. It's so tough to predict. You never know. Who's on the upswing? Who's on the downswing? Who's burned out? Yeah. That brings me on to another point that I was going to make, which is, you know, the things that make these so difficult to predict is you just can't predict who's just going to have a really hot week, which is why, you know, I hear people talk about, oh, who's going to make the team? Oh, he's very consistent. Do you want a consistent player in the team? Do you want a player in that team who's finishing 30th every single week? Or do you want somebody like, for want of a better example, Sepp Straka, who goes and wins the Honda, then misses about 10 cuts in a row, then suddenly almost wins the FedEx St. Jude, then what finishes like T6 or something at the Tour Championship, almost wins in a playoff a couple of weeks ago as well. Players who just have these really hot streaks, and you can't predict when they're going to have those hot streaks, that's a difficult part. But players who can be wildly awful one week, but then wildly brilliant the next week. They're almost the guys that you want in your team, and you just hope that they have that brilliant week when it's when it's the Ryder Cup, as we saw with Thomas Peters and, and Hazeltine. I guess the only thing I'd push back there is it feels like like having a guy that is going to put, like, if you have an anchor, there's just nowhere to hide him, right? There is a, am I sitting you until singles? And, like, is your game not there this week? Do I have to sit you till singles and I'm sacrificing that point? That's tough. That could be one of your studs as well. You know, that could be, yeah. look what happened with, with Corey Connors for Trevor a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. You know, he goes into the team as as a player that Immelman would have been thinking, right, Corey, you're my guy. You're one of the guys I'm leaning on here. Rory last year. R- Rory yeah. at, at Whistling Straits a year ago, you know, he finally got it together against Xander in the singles, but he just didn't have it at all on the Friday and the Saturday. And, and that can happen. So that's what makes these things wildly unpredictable and somebody will just surprise you. Somebody will do what Jamie Donaldson did at Glen Eagles and play the best golf of his life, what Thomas Peters did at Hazeltine, what Francesco Molinari did at Paris. You know, somebody will have just play the best. It'll bring out the very best and then they'll, you know, it'll be like water off a duck's back, the atmosphere. They'll just rise to the occasion and they'll be the star, the standout star of the Ryder Cup. Well, I think there's also a sense of picking guys that are emotionally and mentally like ready for that. It's not just talent because you can get a talented guy and roll. I mean, this is what kind of what we were talking about with Horschel earlier. You can get a talented guy to roll him out there and it's like, man, I, I can't feel my hands for four straight hours. Like that's that ain't the guy you want out there. I'm not saying that about Horschel necessarily, but that's sort of the direction we we're going. You want the you want the and I don't know how you short of doing like psychological tests, which I'm, I think maybe they do, but uh, you want the guy like Peter's just like, give me the ball with 40,000 people watching and I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to go in a match, you know, and whether they're, whether his strokes, not to you know, <laughs> dump, dump all over data golf Don't here, but that. whether his strokes game number is better than Danny Willits or not, like you, you want that kind of guy out there. And uh, the U S I think thankfully for them right now has a bunch of those guys and Europe has some, I I just don't know if they've identified the ones that um, haven't played in Ryder cups yet. Is the only guy that the U S is sad to, to have lost at this point, DJ Dustin, that's a, it's a decent sized loss. It's, it's hard though. Cause it's like, he sucked it in Paris, right? Like there are, you dogged him so hard for it. And I said, 
I said, trust me on this one, Solomon. Trust me on this one. <laughs> I, we didn't really. I got a good feeling about this. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I, I, we didn't really need him that bad at Whistling Straits. We needed him a lot more in uh, in Paris. And yeah, so it's like, I don't know. So like, even the guys that are really good in the Ryder Cup don't uh, don't not put up stinkers. I don't have no better way of saying that. Like you have years. Yeah. Rory's been a great Ryder Cupper, and he put up, he's put up a stinker kind of in the last two. If we're being honest, like. Losing anytime Rory has a losing record in the Ryder Cup, I would call that a stinker, and he had a losing record in Paris. So yeah, you you don't know, and it's it's that's that's just where depth rules out, right? It's just like you just can't count on, you know, if you have four really strong guys, you just can't count on all four of them uh, going balls out because it just almost never works out that way. That's what I was going to say. Like in terms of you know, I was hoping to go this entire podcast without mentioning the fifty four tour, but it's inevitable we have to at some point. Good. <laughs> we did pretty good. We got we got like about 45 minutes in. But, you know, I see a lot on Twitter, you know, oh, the Ryder Cup's being completely devalued by not having the best players in it. And I'm like, well, actually, if you were to pick the 12 Europeans now and the 12 best Americans now, DJ's probably the only one that's getting into the 24. Like, it's not... So you're going to have 23 of the best 24 Europeans and Americans next year. Sergio? Um, I... I personally don't think at the moment he would get into the European team. I know that he, you know, has got credit in the bank in terms of what he's done at Ryder Cups and, and you know, last year at Whistling Straits. You know, people ridiculed Podrick picking him for Whistling Straits and look what he did with John Ram. But, you know, I, I, I personally wouldn't see, you know, you can make a baby case for Paul Casey, for Eugenio Chikara. But um, I don't think any of those European players on live at the moment are getting into the current European Ryder Cup team, personally. I, I actually think there's a case to be made for Bryson also. I, I mean, you, you have to... You had to put him in the right position to succeed. They didn't in 18. They did more so in 2021. But, I mean, he only does exhibitions now anyway, so the Ryder Cup would be would be perfect for him. <laughs> but he, 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 he thrived last year. Like, when he was going crazy on uh when he got up and down from like 365 to start sunday against sergio i mean that you know they started engraving the trophy right then he he was kind of in his element in, and and it you know maybe that would not it wasn't the case in paris maybe it wouldn't be in rome because he would be on the road but that's one guy more so than brooks for me that i'm kind of would he's not a, he's not a star on the us team but he could be a really really good role player on this team See, I disagree there because I feel like he's, I feel like he makes you have to make sacrifices in other areas to accommodate for yeah. him, right? And and then if things aren't going well, then how's he going to act? Is he a, is he even more of a liability then? Because you not only have to worry about the guy not playing well, but you have to worry about him being a fucking sourpuss the whole time too. <laughs> and this takes us back to the earlier point they're making that actually. Are you looking for the 12 best golfers or are you looking for the best team? And is Bryson going to be a disruptive influence in that team, a divisive influence in that team? I think Sergio would be currently with the European team. I know that John Ram's going into bat for him recently. And I think Matt Fitzpatrick has been quite open in saying he thinks Sergio should be in that team. But I know there's quite a lot of other guys there. Who, they don't want any of the live guys anywhere near that team. They don't want them as assistant captains. They certainly don't want them playing in the team. There's still a lot of really raw feeling from a lot of the prominent players on that European team. So I think by putting any of them into either team, you're creating a rift that you don't need to create. Let's let's visit that though for a second. Rules wise, do you think live players should be able to be selected by captain's picks? I'll start with TC. Might, the answer might be different for for each team, but TC, what do you think? I would say rules wise, yeah. 
put him on the table. Now it's up to the captain. If I'm the captain, am I picking him? No. But I think even you know, DJ, like DJ seems to me to be the most pickable as far as fitting in the team room, general, like I don't take really anything personally vibe and doesn't seem to be like, a, he's not, he's not any of the ones suing the, the PGA tour. I don't sense a lot of ill will from like the JTs and whatnot towards DJ. I, I, that's the only one that yeah, I think really would fit. That's tough. Yeah. I don't think there is a right answer, no. right? I think, uh, I mean, DJ is one of my favorite players of all time. Like, of course I'd love to see him, but you know, but at the end of the day, yeah, I just, I don't know. I struggle with that too, because it's, it's, you know, like who knows what his lead up is going to be to that. Who knows what, what form his game is in truly, you know? And it's worth just for people that aren't familiar, the PGA of America, not the PGA tour runs the U S side of the equation here and the European tour runs the European side. So, you know, it's been interesting really because live players have been able to play DP world tour events, uh, you know, since then. So, I mean, what, what, what is your belief either, uh, what, what captains can or should do Jamie and what is like, I don't want to say legal, but uh, you know, yeah. rules wise. I think it's trickier from a European point of view, because as you said, you know, the European tour, the DP world tour is the Ryder cup as well. So these guys that have gone to live, they're damaging the European tour. They're, they're making the DP world tour weaker. And not only that, but they've made a lot of noise in the way out the door as well. And, you know, said some, been pretty open in their criticism of Keith Pelley. And we don't need to go back to Sergio in the locker room in Munich, but, you know, they've been really open about where the European tour is headed. So if you're playing a part in destroying that tour, do you honestly expect to be part of their Ryder Cup team? I find it incredible to believe that they would even want to be there. Legally, should they be? <sighs> Probably, but, you know, they're only going to be captain's picks. They're not going to qualify. And I, I keep arriving back at that point that, you know, by even by picking them, I think Luke Donald is creating a problem that he doesn't need to have. So, look, we'll see. Yep, they, they can still play and earn uh, ranking points up until February at least, which is when we'll have this court hearing. But I think it's trickier from the European point of view because whereas you have that separation between the PGA Tour and the PGA of America, it's all one big ball or from a European point of view and anybody's gone to live, you know, that's why you're getting paid exorbitant amounts of money to go to live because you're weighing up that, okay, by doing this, I'm probably burning any chances I have of being a Ryder Cup player. Um, and that's why that the, you know, they're, they're earning an awful lot of money by making that decision. Yeah. I, I think they should be on the table, uh, for, for captain's picks. Now on the U S side, it, it does give the captains because of the, makeup of who's going to live it gives them such an out to not have to i mean remember all the lead up to uh, 2018 2021 with oh should patrick reed be on this team he was captain america and it's and and you get an out you don't have you don't you, like you can you can just not even talk about it right you cannot talk about brooks who just i mean he did that gq thing last year which was so weird and Ended up not mattering, but it was just the he he. I don't feel like is beloved on the team necessarily, and then uh, Bryson as well. So DJ for me on the U.S. side is the only one. Um, I I don't. I'm with Jamie. I don't even know how many on the Euro side. I think people think of Westwood and Sergio and guys like that. Poulter still being like 37 years old when they're really like 10 years older than that. And that was always my thing with the Euros is they're going to get caught between generations. And they finally did at Whistling Straits. 
and now this is the turnover year. So I don't even know if they were still, if they were not at, at live, if they would even be, uh, be considered. But I, I, I do kind of think they should be, but I don't necessarily feel strongly about it one way or the other. On the flip side, if you're like, you know, let's say you're Seth Waugh and, you know, Seth by all accounts seems to just be very much like, Hey, let's have everybody get along. And, and he doesn't want to pour gasoline on this thing, but as an entertainment product, like what would be more entertaining than having, you know, kind of all eyes on, it's just another couple of storylines, right. Of, of, holy shit, this is the only event every 24 months that everybody in in the golf world gets together for outside of the majors. Speaking as a European, I would absolutely love that US team to have Brooks Koepka, Patrick (laughs) Reed, Bryson DeChambeau in it. Because going back to my earlier point, I just think they're they're such a united team now and just throw a few disruptors into the mix and that could be the one thing that makes them unravel. Yeah, I think it's a DJ question on the U.S. side, and I think yeah. again we're 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 talking about this all a year out. I guarantee there'll be very funny stuff to listen back to a year from now, just because there's always things that happen. There's always more turnover that it looks like, and there could be more guys leaving. For all we know, I mean those 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 offers are still going up, and um, so it you know does that change the conversation? I think this is like it's just worth noting. This is in my view a lot like the major championships where you know if you've earned exemptions into those and you play for live like you should be able to play them in my opinion like that's that they met the criteria isaiah thomas voice like i i i got no problem with that really this is not a pga tour event again that's where it's kind of weird with the european tour it is a european tour event but then the separate question is it worth it is you know also worthy of discussion and if yeah if i'm sitting there from the u.s side dj is the only one i'd even consider and it's got to be like a like, you guys cool with this? Like, do you want this as our 12th guy? And God, if they have that, that is a really freaking good team. Let's, we, we kind of diverted there a little bit and didn't really, uh, haven't really had a chance to break down European team. We've mentioned the top seven guys. If you had to take guys as of now, if you had to fill out your roster, Jamie, now with the bottom five guys, uh, and we'll, listen, we're going to give you a lot of leeway here in that this, this is subject to change and can change month to month and, and it likely will. But if you're sitting here now, What's jumping off the page at you? I'll give you my other five right now. And let's see how how ridiculously wildly wrong I am 12 months from now. So I've said my seven. My seven, McElroy, Ram, Hovland, Fitzpatrick, Laurie, Hatton, Fleetwood. I can't see any scenario unless one of them is injured or just falls off the face of the earth. My other five to fill out the team are Thomas Peters, Justin Rose, Rasmus Hoygaard, Oh, hang on, actually. <laughs> wow. I just picked a team of 13. Um, no, my other five are Sepp Straka, Guido Miliozzi, Bob McIntyre, Rasmus Hoygaard, and Thomas Peters. I'm leaving Rosie out. I like that. you got to move on. Yeah, it's, it's time to move on. You, there's the, you I, not much of a future. I, I kind of hope he does. I, I, I kind of would like him to make the team, and I think Luke Donald will be very tempted to pick him if he has a half-decent year. But he's had his problems with injury this year. I don't know. We'll see. I, I'd, and I'd love somebody like Francesco Molinari to have a great 2023 and play in a home Ryder Cup. That would be incredible. But look, I've got some outsiders as well, the likes of Victor Perez, Nikolai Hoygaard. I think Ras- I think Nikolai's probably got a higher ceiling than Rasmus, but I think Rasmus is the more complete player at the moment. Uh, Adrian Moronk, Seamus Parr, you know, even somebody like Ewan Ferguson or, or Jordan Smith could have a you know a stellar twenty twenty three. But I think they need to do something pretty special. Alex Noren. Alex Noren can't Alex, even get a, a mention. Alex Noren's Alex Noren's on my maybe list as well. 
If Alex Long could have held a few five-foot putts a couple of weeks ago at St Andrews, he'd, he'd have won the Dunhill. Um, so he's knocking on the door as well, and he's, he's got the game that would really suit that course. So, look, he's on the list as well, but it's a, it's a long list at the moment. I don't think the team, the European team, picks itself to the same extent the American one does at the moment. You gotta explain this Guido Migliosi thing for me right now because this is the numbers are really not checking out on that one. I know he just won in France. I saw your tweet say get him on the team. I know he is Italian and it would be the home game he's model stud. off the chart. He is not a stud. I will. I will not. He's an absolute bowler. <laughs> uh, look, I, I don't know. Look, that that's maybe one that he's picked more in emotion than 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 following the the data golf stats. I think he'll he's got obviously a real determination, a real bit between his teeth to make that team for obvious reasons. He has shown that, you know, that, that shot that he hit into the seventy second hole in Paris a few weeks ago, that he's got the stones when when it's all on the line to to take shots on. Maybe it's slightly heart ruling head on that on that one. Maybe, you know, it's probably if you're gonna have an Italian on the team. The Francesco Molinari version, the, the 2018 version of Francesco Molinari is the Italian that you want to have there. But Guido's probably more likely in current form to make it. TC, anything to add or comment on there? Yeah, well, I struggle with as much as I like Francesco. He's a jewel of a guy. I, if, if it feels like he'd be a pretty big liability just from a, you know, a, a type of game scenario. Like there's just the way that he, you know, just kind of dinks it out there and, and, you know, it, it's he's not going to put the pedal down on anybody, right? It's like he's he's kind of got the just that steady, consistent, you know, floor and ceiling. And five and zero in Paris, yeah. <laughs> oh well, yeah, but we're also talking about a very, very, very different golf course. Like, I don't like know that's if it's like very different. I think it's it's got differences, but I think it's got a few similar traits as well. But it's like if you were going to have a golf course that was tailor made for him, it w- it would be something like Paris. I think him and Eduardo will end up being just ass captains and kind of be like getting the, you know, riling up the Italian contingent that way instead, probably. That is what I would say about, you know, both Francesco and Justin Rose is they will be part of the team, whether it's as an assistant captain or or as a player. We got a great question there from uh, N8D32, send in five really good questions. But one of his was just about emphasizing Eduardo Molinari's statistical focus as an ass captain and and, and the impact that potentially may have on the European team's construction. Yeah, he got all sorts of looks for, for a captaincy. Right, I mean, as they were trying to figure it out, a couple more lip affections, he might have had it. He was on his way. Yeah, I think he almost inevitably will be one, whether it's you know at a dare manner in 2027 or something like that, because basically our next five captains are have all been ruled out now. So yeah, I know it's not sexy, and I know people roll their eyes at the data golf and and the the like the analytics and the numbers matter a lot. The, the Europeans made that work for them in 2018 big time and how they came Massively. up with their pairings for foursomes and how they, you know, attacked that golf course. Like it is a big deal. You should see how many guys are out there collecting all this data and, and reporting it back. And like, like we said at the top, the U S is at least on the way to figuring that out. If not already figured that out. And it, it does have a big impact. It's basically, you just don't want somebody up there winging it. And that's basically like all of these teams, international team inside included on the president's cup. No one's winging it anymore. 
So Thomas completely bought into that in 2018 and leaned so heavily on the numbers and they had a plan in place that they barely strayed from all week and they were vindicated in that. So this is nothing new, having somebody who, who weighs so heavily on the data. The only thing that's new is that the person doing the data this time just so happens to be an assistant captain as well. A couple other things I had too, just from a kind of a preparation standpoint and everything. I mean, it would be cool to have twin brothers on the team. Yeah. Both of them. You know, that but but also like if one of them doesn't react all that well or gets nervous, kind of makes you nervous about the other one as well. So how do you, you know, how do you how do you kind of attribute for that? Jamie, are we are we completely I know he's a lock and a shoe in. Are we completely a hundred percent sold on Hatton? Like is his game trending back to a to a to a good place? I know he's played well this fall and everything. Yeah, I mean, of those seven, I think Tyrrell is maybe the most likely to drop out. But I just think he's got that experience. He's a gritty match player. Like, you know, even when most of the team played badly at Whistling Straits last year, Tyrrell is one of the better ones. You know, if there's somebody standing over a seven-foot putt in the 18th green, Tyrrell Hatton would be one of the first players I'd want standing over that. And <laughs> I don't know what it is, whether it's about, you know, the tides or where the moon is or, you know, whatever. But Tyrrell Hatton seems to play really well this time of year. Hmm. Like the amount of time, the amount of like wins he's got in the autumn, the fall, is extraordinary. I don't know why he plays so well in September and October, but it, for that reason alone, I think I'd probably have him on the team. September brings out his best golf. And then I feel like we got to talk about he's one of my favorite players in the world, but Tommy. It's to, well, like, Tommy, I know Tommy's had a lot going well, on Well, I'm personally. sure Solly will, be, Solly will be the first to tell you that Tommy's numbers are probably a lot better than his results this year. You're looking confused, Sully. I thought you were going to insult me in some way, but I no, 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 no. <laughs> I just assumed. No, no, God, no. Me insult you? Would I ever do that? No, I'm just saying that you know Tommy maybe hasn't had the wins this year. Well, he hasn't had a win this year, and he hasn't had the results he would have hoped for. But I think his numbers are still showing that he's playing pretty good golf. They do correct. That is, he's he's bounced back from a 2021 being probably his worst year since he's he's turned. Since, since he became a really elite player, um, he's had a, a solid half-shot bounce back, which is a lot. That's a very big jump. I just wanted to get that on the record from Solly to to ride for Tommy a little bit. I, I feel like that's been a long time coming. You're, uh, you have, like, you go so over the top with Tommy that me being, like, centered on this makes me look like I'm on the other end of the political spectrum on this. It's like, I'm why, very Why do you I'm, hate Tommy so much, exactly, Solly? Why do yeah, you hate exactly. Tommy so much? Exactly. TC What's he ever done to you? TC is out here on the QAnon side of this where I'm just like right down in the middle and he thinks I'm Elizabeth Warren. There's some guys that they, they kind of concern me a little bit. All right, Pocahontas. There's some guys that kind of concern me here. Matthew Pavon, Antoine Rosner, Callum Shinkwin, like guys that could kind of get hot and, and yeah. you know, earn their way on. Uh, I'd love to see Norrin on. I think, you know, I think Norrin's kind of earned it and I think he'd be a good fit and I think he's, he's you know, he'd be great in the team room. He's a, you know, pretty pretty slow simmer guy. The other guy, I'm gonna say it, guys. I'm gonna say it. Ludwig. I think <laughs> the future starts now. I'm 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 not joking. I'm dead serious. Ludwig Aberg is who he's referring to, who is the number one amateur in the world currently. Still, still amateur. He's still amateur number, with number eleven two, months to number go two to the Ryder Cup. Number two amateur. Well, I go by Dan Golf anyways. Number he's number one on that. So okay. um and so you you think he'll be – is he turning pro at the end of this golf season? Does he need to be a pro to play in the Ryder Cup? That's, uh, that's a great that. question. Yeah, but, you know, he's just – I don't know. Member, we play right? with him. 
I did some yep. scouting. Which, um, I mean, like, Sepp Strack is only actually an affiliate member at the moment, so Seamus Parr becomes a full member of the European Tour next year. Sepp mm. Strack is still going to be an affiliate member, so he's kind of relying on invites to European Tour events, and obviously he ne- ne- then needs to play four of them to be eligible. But I think Strack is obviously definitely on the radar. What a bad look that would be if Sepp Strack couldn't play on the European Ryder Cup team because of some... Well, Bullshit. look, the, the, the ball's in his court. If he wants to be in the team, come and play four times. You know, he's only played, he's only ever played, in, if you're talking about regular European tour events, he's only ever played in Austria. He's never played elsewhere. But look, he's got 10 months to come and play Abu Dhabi, Dubai, wherever, just to get those four events. It's pretty easily done. Just hop on a flight and, and fill up your quota. On that front, I wonder if an early season runner-up finish Getting ahead in the FedEx Cup points makes it easier for him to do the you know the Middle East swing to, to start the year on the on the Euro Tour. That'd be interesting. Although maybe maybe he identifies more as American because he grew up in Valdosta. It's true. It's also very true. <laughs> you know, so so he, he wants nothing to do with Europe. Maybe he could play on the American side. <laughs> exactly. Two other guys I had were uh, uh, you mentioned him briefly, Seamus Power. You know, we'd be very remiss. The all the Irish would be all over us if we didn't mention him as a possibility. And then another guy that's playing really good golf right now and, and has been for a bit, uh, Thomas Dietrich. Mm-hmm. Got him in my, I've got him in my long shot list. Yep. Europe's, punchy, Europe's got like a lot of irons in the fire. If I'm Europe right now, I'm looking and there's optimism on the forefront. Like I'm a little concerned about the depth, but there's enough go- of noise going on there that you can kind of pick hot hands, right? And if you look at, I mean, look how decimated, you know, the International President's Cup team got and how far down the depth list they had to go and how punchy a lot of those guys were, a lot of those captain's picks. Like Munoz, you know, Bezaytenho went 1-0-1. Uh, Siwoo Kim went 3-1. and Like, there, you know, you can experiment a little bit when you get, when you're, when you don't have, like, that expectation of here's who you should pick. You can experiment. You can go further down the board and get a really good course fit or something like that where, you know, it's kind of a, a, a weirdly fun experimental phase for Europe. Now that you've cleared cleared out the the Poulters and the Westwoods and the Caseys. Yeah, there's there's a definite, you know, lack of immediate depth, but a ton of punchy, you know, kind of tertiary depth. Yeah, right? and also uh, all of these guys <laughs> and, and you know Porter touched upon earlier, you don't know how they're going to react when they're in that cold of a Ryder Cup, but so many of them will be desperate to make that team as well. That you know that that brings out something in you as well. I mean, I, going further down, I've got Adrian Moronk. I mentioned you and Ferguson, I think Matty Schmid who he's still very young wants to see what sort of year he has next year Aaron Rye who's just sort of next year will be a second season on the PGA Tour maybe he finds his feet a bit more Torbjorn Olison won earlier this year in the European Tour um, so could we he, be, he come back to the sort of player he was four years ago Matt Wallace you know he's the kind of guy who would have the mentality for a Ryder Cup team and then basically anybody who's got a PGA Tour card you're one surprise win away from suddenly rocketing up the standings so you've got to be looking at people like Vincent Norman or Callum Tarran, people like that. They, they could just do something out of the ordinary, like Straka did with the Honda, just win this PGA Tour event from nowhere, and suddenly, you know, their name's on everyone's lips. I'd love to see uh, Marcel Seam get involved after, you know, <laughs> running the floor with Dirk in the uh, in the Olympics, just get him involved in the Ryder Cup. That'd be sweet. The only thing I'm going to ask of you, Jamie, is that... We cannot do it all year long that if somebody wins a tournament, they make the team. We can't do it all year long. <laughs> all right. I'm just not yeah, going okay. to allow that to happen. Okay. I'm going to put it. You, you only take 12 guys. Okay. I know we all get excited. 
Uh, but we're just, just going to put that out there right now. I'm just going to say it too. Ludwig <laughs> plays a lot of match play, right? Yeah, that's he plays, true. He got, he he's got, yeah. He, like, he plays a lot of match play. He hasn't played particularly great in it. He got matched up against some, you know, went, went up against some buzz saws here or there, but he's, he would be a tough out. I do you know, he plays, do you know he plays really well in match play as well? Kevin Kisner. You should really consider him for the next. I heard that. I heard that. I don't know if it's ever been mentioned to you before. Tabby Tutter asked, will Kevin Kisner be on the roster? No, Uh, I don't think so. I think we've we've done that. I think we're ready to move on from that. I think it was an (laughs) internet created thing that, you know, look, I think it's probably a better course fit. You know, I, I still don't really have the answer to like, does distance play? In in uh, at Marco Simone, but uh, I just don't. I just think that there's there's people with equal skills, iron play, and and wedges and putting uh, to him that hit it further. So I don't know why you would do that. And I know he's got that dog in him. I I I, I know that he should have <laughs> let that dog out. George, Georgia Bulldog and did not. And uh, he talked a big game about partying, and he was the first one to leave the party. I heard he was leaving. No, really? Left. Yeah, he left not to go on good. a hunting trip. It's a tough, uh, it's tough one. So I think that I think we're ready to move on from that era. Do you know the other thing? Sorry, I was just gonna. Sorry, one other thing I was just gonna mention as well is I know we sort of glossed over this, but you know, both teams are pretty strong, one to eight, and then it's the nine to. Tw- it's invariably it is always the nine to twelve that decide the Ryder Cup or decide any of these competitions, right? And I actually think next year's Ryder Cup is the Ryder Cup where the, where nine to twelve might be the most important ever because. That course is so hilly, so undulating, so physically demanding that I don't think you can just ride your top eight guys mm. all four sessions on Friday and Saturday because they'll just be spent come Sunday. So I think, you know, next year, even the likes of Rory or, you know, will, will Thomas and Spieth play all five sessions? I find it hard to believe because unless you're winning your matches on the 14th and getting a bit of a rest, you're just going to be whacked come Sunday if you're if you're playing. If you're going all the way up 18 four times on Friday and Saturday, you're going to be fucked come Sunday. Interesting. Jamie, a couple of questions for you. A, are you bullish on Thomas Peters? Because he seems like a key linchpin. And like, and I feel better about this team now than I did when I was trying to you know, blow smoke up everybody's asses six to 12 months ago. Thomas obviously won earlier this year in Abu Dhabi. And we thought right here, we're going to see the Thomas Peters of 2016 again, suddenly, you know, bounce back. And it hasn't quite happened. Um, at Le Golf National a few weeks ago, he was in a great position through 54 holes and kind of just didn't do much on the Sunday, which was concerning. But he sort of fits into that bracket I was talking about earlier of these players who can just inexplicably get really hot. And Thomas Peters makes so many birdies. And that is really important in match play. Yeah, he'll make he'll go out there and he'll make nine birdies in a run. He might throw in a few triple bogeys as well. But in match play, that doesn't really matter. You know, you're if you have these absolute horror shows on one particular hole you've only lost one hole if you're going and making an absolute ton of birdies in the round as well then you're a hard man to beat i would almost throw him in that top like add him to the top seven i mean he, he yeah, is well he's kind of eighth in my list yeah yeah he was so good not only was he so good in 2016 but he's had at least statistically his best like his career best year this year if he's playing anywhere close to how he's playing right now i think he has to be on the team and you just need him to be good that one week, right? And, you know, you can have a great, you know, it, that's the thing about this, like you said, and it's, that's where the Europeans have a chance. What I mean by punchy is like, you could have a dude that has six miserable months, has a decent three month run up to it and finds the form for the Ryder Cup. Like that's, that's, that opportunity is not going to present itself on the U.S. side because of the depth, but Europe has a chance to ride a really hot hand coming into it. 
The other thing about Thomas Peters is, as well, not that I think you, you particularly need to be worried about who to pair Rory McIlroy with, because Rory can play with probably anybody, but in the absence of Poulter and Sergio, who have always been Rory's two go-to partners, Thomas Peters is just, I mean, as we saw in Hazeltine, they just hit it off. And Rory even said at Hazeltine, I think I found my partner for the next decade. And then he didn't make the next two teams. But <laughs> Rory, Rory and Thomas Peters are such a good team. So that you've, you've solved that problem. Who on earth do we put Rory McIlroy with? Put him with Thomas Peters. And then, Jamie, second question I had was, how do you think that the Euros plan to use this uh, Hero Cup in uh, Abu Dhabi? Uh, you know, the, the, the Seve Cup, the, you know, yeah. the, the, all this controversy about it, but do you think that's an actual asset here? I think it's supposed to be in January, right? That's right. It's just before Abu Dhabi. Um, I think it'll be an asset for Luke Donald to experience match play golf and for guys like Bob McIntyre or the Hoy Guards or Guido to experience being part of a team. I think it's far more important from a sort of getting to know each other, team bonding point of view, than it is from the golf itself. And look, it would be great if you got any of those top seven, the likes of Rory, Shane, Fitz, John Ram, Victor Hovland and Volt. But realistically, I don't think any of those big, big guns are going to be there. But for that next tier of players, those players who have never been thrown into the cauldron before, I think it'll be beneficial from that point of view in terms of just experience a bit of match play, getting to know people. Um, I think it'll be really important, really and big for Luke Donald as well. And, you know, speaking to Thomas Bjorn, I know that the Eurasia Cup in 2018 was important from him. There weren't that many people involved in that team that went on to be in Paris later that year. But just from his point of view, to to experience putting players with each other and, you know, him getting to know him and the, the laughs they had over the week in that team room, I think helped massively down the road. Solly, we don't have to tell you how important the Eurasia Cup Of course, Cup I'm a big Eurasia Cup was. guy. I, I will say, too, just worth noting, Listen, we know Fitz is a different player going into next year, but it is worth noting 0-6 in the Ryder Cup. He's got a lot to prove yeah. when it comes to the Ryder Cup. And Hovland being penciled into your top seven, and I'm I'm good with that as well, went 0-3-2 at Whistling Straits. And I don't necessarily think that projects out, but it's just worth noting uh, a couple of these guys that are in that top seven have a little bit to prove on the Ryder Cup side. To push back with you on that one, I think Victor Hovland was in a similar boat to... Uh, Sam Burns at the President's Cup in that yep. he played better than 0-3-2 and at Whistling Straits last year. And Fitz, A, he's a completely different player to the player he was 12 months ago. But also, he was a, I mean, he was a pop. He was 21 years old at Hazeltine in 2016. Um, he was just completely uh, not ready for that occasion. This time last year, um, he was again, he was coming in not in great form, playing a course that just did not suit him at all. He's not a major champion. He's added 20 yards uh, to his game. Nothing seems to phase him. He almost won at Marco Simone three weeks ago. Um, so I've got absolutely no concerns about Fitz. In fact, I think he could be maybe. You That's know, what the star I said. I just said he had something to prove. That's what I yeah, said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you did. I know you did. Calm <laughs> down. Calm down. We do need to wrap here somewhat shortly. So I think it's time we do this. I think we should go around the horn and I think we should do a predicting score as of right now. I know there's not, no good can come of this. No good can come of this. Uh, but I think it is a worthwhile thing to, to, to do at this point. I, I, I'm willing to go on the record what I think will happen. Uh, I, I can go first if you guys would like. Or I'm going to get where's Alan Shipnucked, aren't I? I? You probably will. <laughs> you probably will. I 
am most certainly aware, and I cannot disclaim this enough, it is not a going to be a cakewalk for the U.S. I don't necessarily think it's going to be a cakewalk for the U.S. I'm aware that the U.S. That's, that's big lose. of you. That's I'm aware of this. Well, this every, every year this gets twisted, right? So I just want to put that out there stated. Uh, I think the U.S. will win 15.5 to 12.5. That is my prediction as we stand here right now. TC, I'm going to go to you next. I'm going to give Kyle a chance to see how bold he wants to get. You know, a lot of different ways I could go here. Even, you know, Bjorn picking Adrian Dumont de Chassart or Rasmus Niergaard Peterson or Mateo Fernandez de <laughs> Oliveira. Any of those guys are, are on the table here. I think it is. I, th- I think it's Bjorn's a Bjorn's the captain now, apparently. A tie. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. Luke Donald. Uh, and obviously Ludwig's on the team. Uh, it could be like a Miracle on Ice reversed kind of situation where it's a bunch of college kids going up against, you know, the likes of this this dominant U.S. team. Uh, I'm going to go with a tie. It's going to be a tie. Okay. The, the U.S. retains the cup, but it's a tie. Jamie? Well, I started this podcast an hour and a half ago uh, saying that I think it's going to be the closest Ryder Cup since Medina, and I'm going to stick with that. 14 and a half, 13 and a half to Europe. Mr. Kyle Porter, the floor is cleared for you. <laughs> do, I, Europe, do Europe get into double figures, Kyle? I, I'm, I may have gotten out over my skis during the President's Cup. I was, I was, I was hyped up. I, you guys have you, you've uh, Thomas Peters honestly like brings some some gravity to my situation because if he's your eighth guy, that's, that's pretty freaking good, right? Like that's that's not nothing. And nine through twelve is a problem, you know, and and maybe even beyond that. But I'm gonna. It's also an opportunity. It could be. Do you think? Ludwig going from uh, Lubbock to Rome is that a culture shock or no? Is that going to be easier? He's number one. He's number one in the PGA Tour University rankings presented by Velocity Global. <laughs> he's playing in Abu Dhabi this year. I I, I I I texted with him earlier today. Actually, he is in a great headspace. Okay, he is, don't worry about coach Ludwig. now. Just Life give coach. us your score, Kyle. He's a mental coach. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk it back a little bit. Not a ton. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say. Uh, I'm gonna say fifteen to thirteen. Also, oh, I'm the boldest. So so brave. Jesus. Yeah. Fifteen and a half, twelve and a half is very close. By the way, if anyone hears that and think that that's like that's probably like legitimately where the bookmaker line is. The U.S. was minus one ninety, I think, to win the last I looked. Like I'm guessing that means about a three point spread. So. If that sounds bold, that is that is a tempered, tempered, tempered expectation. It so just it could, rarely, it could be like eight shots, right? I mean, it could right. be. Yeah, it rarely comes down to being fourteen and a half, thirteen. You know what I mean? It just rarely ends up being that close. So that's the only reason why I'm not picking something even closer. So, Captain Donald, let's invest in our future. Ludwig hasn't played even played well the last three to six months, and he's still been been relatively dominant. Just wait. That is. I think that's our cue. Whenever TC was vehemently um, ride, ride for Ludwig. 14 and a half, 13 and a half happens more often than you think. So Medina, Celtic Manor 2010, Brookline 99, Valderrama 97, they were all 14 and a half to 13 and a half. So just, it comes to a shot here or there. It comes to a pot here or there. I hope we get a, a Celtic Manor type Ryder Cup. We, we've, I mean, as much fun Monday as... Monday finish. Well, not that, but as much fun as the as the Ryder Cup is, no matter what the score is, to have that tension. We haven't had tension over the last two hours of the event since uh, since Medina, right? And that's ten, that was ten years. I wasn't even covering the sport then. <laughs> 
And so I just, I, I do hope we get that as much as I would, you know, would love to see the U.S. win and am halfway doing a bit there. But I, there's nothing better in golf than what makes guys handshake. And to see guys handshaking coming down the stretch at a Ryder Cup would be pretty special. Amen to that. Gentlemen, uh, we could do this every week if you wanted to. I mean, we could. We could, we could. This was, <laughs> Let's do that. It's Ryder Cup preview every a, single a week. weekly Ludwig right. check-in. <laughs> it is. Um, I could get Ludwig to call in can, if you guys we want. We do that. This was an absolute. Look, it's gonna be, it is going to be awesome. It is going to be an awesome Ryder Cup. I, I can't wait for it. And the venue, it's not the greatest course in the world, but it's going to be exciting. You're just outside Rome, which is an incredible city with some incredible sights. Just ask Zach Johnson. I think he's the... <laughs> The go-to tourist guide for for Rome. He, he knows every he knows every inch of that city. So fucking TikTok that yeah. is oh it's bad. Let's man. not talk it's about it. We got we got a whole year of that shit. The dress the dress to. the dressing gone TikTok. That's what we got to do. The scarred fun, me. We got to do the fun chats so we don't have to you know just survive off of the uh, the the shitty content that's come out of that stuff. So. Gents, it was a blast. It was very balanced, very fair, if I may say so. Uh, we appreciate everyone's participation here and appreciate everyone tuning in to listen. We'll have plenty of Ryder Cup stuff over the next year. And uh, thank you all for tuning in. Cheers. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most.